America. My name is Amir Sefrenpong. I come to you every Thursday, but tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so I felt beholden to give my people a little bit of something to talk about during their Thanksgiving meal with your loved ones, and it's going to be a little bit of misogyny, a little bit of misandry, uh, race, and the Civil Rights Act, but, uh, particularly the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And I want to start off with a clip. I'll probably end up playing this clip a few times because it's rich. And when I say rich, you'll, I think you'll understand what I mean. This is from a woman by the name of Martha Griffiths, who was a congresswoman during the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And she argued for Title VII, which included sex in the Civil Rights Act. And she's going to tell you why she included sex in the Civil Rights Act. And I'm going to let her do her talking for herself. I think you should listen and believe women when they tell you important changes that have taken place in respect to the status of women since you've been in Congress. Well, I think perhaps the most important change was the one that added sex to the I mean, uh, bill of 1964. This bill was drafted really to help Negroes. Now, it wasn't clear. Uh, it would have meant that Negro women would have been given rights that were not available to white women. Therefore, we added sex. It is my belief that the drafters had never had assumed that no women would get any rights. Uh, so that I think uh, both white and black women uh, were helped by the bill. That's uh, important change. So I want to interpret that for you. She's saying that we added sex in order to protect white women from the justice claims of black women. So people like to think, well, you know, you have to think about sex and you have to think about race and you have to think about class and you have to put them all together. And that's how you'll get justice when really it's a little bit more complicated with that, because if you put them together in the wrong order, sex will be used against race. And that's why, depending on who you talk to, feminist movement have been so much more successful than actually making sure black people have assets because now white women found a way to redirect all of that energy and all of those opportunities back into white communities and, and do so as a civil rights claim. Right. So now the justice claims of white women are now on par with the justice claims of black people when that should not be the case. You have to do race first because <laughs> race conforms everything else. Right. Uh, I don't under the idea that you don't that what happens when you don't take that seriously is you get this right so this was first this idea of adding sex in the civil rights legislation was first introduced by a southerner who uh made this exact point um you know tommy curry is a fantastic scholar who kind of went back and he, he did all this work and, and i'm just kind of going off of thinking through some of what he's already kind of studied and put forth and i you know he has receipts <laughs> so um, a guy by the name of Andrews of Alabama wanted to um, kill the Civil Rights Amendment by saying that it would disadvantage white women relative to black women. And so uh, Griffins took that and said we should like add sex into the Civil Rights Act also. And you know what happened? It gave a way for white women to take all of the opportunities that were supposed to be made for black people. This legislation was for black people. White women just kind of got in there and ate it and sucked all the marrow out of that bone. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that gender is a isn't an issue. It needs to be 
dealt with, but it needs to be dealt with after we deal with the race issue or like separate from dealing with the race issue, not as a way to kind of confuse or conflate the race issue into minorities. Like, I don't understand. Women aren't minorities. They're a majority of the population and like they live longer. They're the biggest voting, their plurality of the voting demographic. If you break demographics by uh, gender and then race, white women, like they do, there, there are a lot of things and there are gender justice issues, but they're not minorities in a meaningful way. There's something else that we need to deal with after we deal with the way we just keep assets from like, like black people. So you had this legislation that was organized and thought through as a remedy for black communities. And there's a way in which, and I think you can see this logic even in today's, it's okay if a black man gets an opportunity over a white man among the left, maybe. Maybe it's okay for a black man to get an opportunity over um, uh, a black, uh, over a white man as a matter of justice. But as soon as a black woman tries to get an opportunity over a white woman, then that's when white women say like, no, no, that's a gender justice issues. We've been shut out too long, right? So this idea that yeah, you have to watch out for all of a sudden it becomes a gender justice issue where gender is used and sex is used as a way to subordinate racial justice claims. And then don't like the same thing's going to be when you get a, a, a black man, unless they're like supremely competent, um, getting an opportunity. I think an incompetent black man should get an opportunity over a marginally competent white woman in the name of justice, like in the name of justice. And that is like, that's what we're talking about here. And that's like, that is appropriate in the name of justice and cultural regress because a black man will take those resources and spread them among black people. By the way, if you support anything I'm doing, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick and, you know, kick in five, 15, $50 a month. And, um, so I can keep doing what I'm doing because depending on who you talk to, that what I'm doing is going to make me down uh, white unemployable. But I think it's important to understand that black people are locked out of America in a way that white women are not. White women are locked out of some aspects of America in their own way, but that's not the way that black people are locked out. And so when Griffiths uses the civil rights legislation to redirect resources and attention to white women at the expense of the black people, black men and women that it was designed for, that is using gender as a racial power grab. And that is how, you know, a lot of diversity initiatives end up saying like, well, you know, now we have white women alongside white men. Um, and so like we're more diverse that way. And that's like not the case. That's, that's still, that's redirecting the energies of the civil rights movement, a movement that was aimed to help, particularly American descendants of slaves, redirecting those energy and resources back into white coffers, which is why the aftermath and reception of the movement ends up disproportionately like strengthening now the, the white disabled community, the, the white gay community, the, uh, you know, all sorts of different varieties of white communities who now consider them, who found a way to be oppressed without actually like 
securing assets for black people. I'm going to play the clip again. And I want you to understand that what she's talking about is white women using their gender and their gender justice claims as a way to subordinate black women and eventually black men and black people, right? So here's a clip one more time. ...that have taken place in respect to the status of women since you've been in Congress. Well, I think perhaps the most important was the one that added sex to the I mean, uh, bill of 1964. This bill was drafted really to help Negroes. Now it wasn't clear uh, it would have meant that Negro women would have been given rights that were not available to white women. Therefore, we added sex. It is my belief that the drafters had never ass had assumed that no women would get any rights. Uh, so that I think uh, both white and black women uh, were helped by the bill. Uh, Those important changes that have taken place. We need to be honest, white women need to get in the back of their line with their husband. They're not even the back of the line because they have assets through their spouses and families and everything else relative to the people without any assets or access to those assets. There are no joint bank accounts community-wide between white and black people. So this idea that the situation, that, that justice claims that are organized for black people should be shared with white women because we're all in it together is not just a canard, it's actually very dangerous. It's a very dangerous. And remember, this is a woman who added sex into the civil rights legislation, added sex into the civil rights legislation against to protect white women against the justice claims of black women in particularly and black people in general, right? So this was race protection under the cover of gender protection. So when someone like Tommy Curry or even I will say that feminism and gender progress is the completion of patriarchy, it's because we understand patriarchal power to be racialized in the white family and community and relative to that real patriarchal power, um, uh, black people are like outside, they're the outside groups. They are the target of patriarchal violence. This is why so many slaves have their slave master's name because patriarchy wasn't race, was, was racialized. Like you're all in that guy's family. I, you know, I, I take this a little personally because my uncle has, his last name is Graham and he's from South Carolina and my mom's maiden last name is Graham. And, you know, Lake City, South Carolina, it's one of those towns where there are a lot of black grams and there are a lot of white grams. And it's okay because they're all on the same plantation. They all have the same, same great grand granddaddy, right? The real patriarch who was white, right? So when you understand patriarch, you have to understand it as a race and family game. And what Griffiths was doing was using gender progress in order to sustain the white race and family game. Right? It would have been fine had we dealt with the race first or subordinated sex claims under racial claims. But if you don't do that, white women will find a way legally to use gender justice in a way that's going to frustrate and subordinate and weaponize everything they have access to as white in order to gain a strategic advantage over both black women and black men. Right? And the civil rights legislation was supposed to, to negate that strategic, that racial advantage, right? But they found a way to insert sex in it 
as like a buttress to uh, to like sustain their civil uh, to sustain those advantages. So now you have like all of those resources and all of that like thought and attention funneled back into whiteness under the mantle of gender progress. Right? And that's what she was advocating for. That's what she was advocating for. And th that is a huge problem. We can deal with gender justice. So when people call me a misogynist, I'm like, yeah, well, there are some forms of womanhood that I think need to go. <laughs> and, and like a lot of that, some dominant forms of womanhood as a colonial identity, which kind of emerged both in conservative and progressive circles in order to show that they could be and fulfill the duties of white male colonizers, right? They wanted to be the equal of white male colonizers just in either in the same or in different arenas. And that means governing the subordinate class, right? They wanted the Disney princess version of feminism where you get a, a, a girl queen who is just as competent and ruly worthy of rule as the male prince and king, which is fine unless you're a peasant. In which case, that's, that kind of gender progress is actually still going to raise an army against your peasant revolution, which is what we should all be writing for. We should be, we should be trying to take rid of this, uh, get rid of this uh, uh, monarchy and, and set up a, you know, a, a constitutional republic, right? So all the gender progress that just substitutes white women for white men is not and all the gender progress that is used in order to subordinate the asset claims of the those outside of the patriarchal clan is really it's it's a farce which is why feminism if it doesn't deal with race first not at the same time you have to deal with race first is ends up being a strategy to just secure more white power and that's how it's worked out in the last you know 50 years of the white women have found a way to dine out on the work and the glory of that was put that was like won by black people and black bodies and often black men and black women and and it's really a shame that we don't get this uh we don't get this right and once i'm gonna once again understand what's going on this is gonna be the third time i show this short clip back to the status of women since You've been in Congress. Well, I think perhaps the most important change was the one that added sex to the amendment, uh, bill of 1964. This bill was drafted really to help Negroes. Now, it wasn't clear. Uh, it would have meant that Negro women would have been given rights that were not available to white women. Therefore, we added sex. It is my belief that the drafters had never had assumed that no women would get any rights. Uh, so that I think uh, both white and black women uh, were helped by the bill. Uh, That's an important change. Yeah, we cannot forget that white women are white, and that means something. And the reason and they share their resources with other whites, <laughs> um, and those resources are used then to subordinate people who are non-white in America, right? And are used to like predate on a more vulnerable black population. We cannot forget that. And so when she's trying to say that white women shouldn't have to also take a back seat along with white guys and spread their assets and power along to black men and black women, 
that's that's a problem that is a huge problem because white women are white right like and this was civil rights legislation organized to address the race problem and when you shoehorn gender in what you're doing is then like siphoning resources that was supposed to address the race problem and bolstering the dominant race and I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not a fan of that, especially when we look back, you know, 50 years later and black people are without assets and white women are not doing so bad. Our white women, they live pretty long, they're not incarcerated, like, they're doing well in school. Um, you can say like, what about abortion? Well, you know, that's an issue we could take on a, like a different, that's, that's not like, that's a different kind of issue that we could talk about after we make sure that black communities can afford to have the kids that they want so that they don't have to abort their babies. They, like, they're, not, they're not like under um, economic coercion in order to abort their babies. And then we can have the conversation um, about like, you know, the struggles of white women. But, and you know, there, there are, <laughs> Yeah, but until black people are made whole or have assets, they're pretty much all under the boot or the high heel of, of white women. Black communities are, and they, they do it under charity, right? So your husband's an engineer and you run a nonprofit, but insofar as black life doesn't exist without nonprofit charity, because the government doesn't do it like white people have conned, uh, the American populace into thinking that you can get justice through like a million 501c3s that are run by like a jerk's wife that and that the white jerk's wife is not also interested in sustaining that power relationship or is seriously interested in redistributing assets she's not um, you know, we don't need to kiss the butt. Of, if you, any justice claim that depends on kissing the butt of, of, of Melinda Gates or Mackenzie uh, Scott isn't really a justice claim because you can't say no to her, right? So um, you just have to understand that white women shoehorned in sex into the Civil Rights Act of 1964, shoehorned it in in Title VII, and what it did is redirect energy resources and access back to white people in a way that kept black people without assets right and that's a problem and we're not honest about that and nobody and now we can't tell white women to shut up because they're oppressed we can tell white guys to shut up we can tell trump to shut up Cannot tell white women that like, no, you need to talk about our issues or sit down um, because they're, they're oppressed. We are not on the same team. All right. So, by the way, if you want to be on my team, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month because, uh, you know, it's take some chances talking like this because a lot of money on the left is feminist money. And I'm saying that you know, we got to deal with race first before we deal with gender. And that is something that a lot of feminists don't want to hear. They like to center themselves, much like Martha Griffin did.
And I'm saying that there are a lot of problems and we have to deal with the black problem first in terms of securing assets to black communities first. Um, and if we don't do that first, and all gender progress is just going to actually calcify what is fundamentally um, an un, like an unjust distribution of goods and services. So race first guy, race conforms gender. And um, I don't know, don't let white men and white women convince you that they're really on opposite time, opposite teams. You'll see that once, they want, once white women want to call the police on you, or um, you know, it's not like they're giving away their granddaddy's inheritance um, in the rebellion. Right. So thank you for your time. And I will talk to you at another in a week. Happy Thanksgiving.